0: Federal News Network's Open Season Hotline, presented by GEHA. Today's question, what is not covered by FEHB plans? With rare exceptions, no FEHB plan will cover cosmetic or plastic surgery except after accidents or a disfiguring illness. Custodial nursing home care, non-prescription over-the-counter drugs, experimental treatments, or simply charges higher than your plan allowance. Also, expenses you incur before or joining after a plan. Some of these items might be paid for using a health savings or flexible spending account, though. Check out our Open Season Hotline, presented by GEHA. Head over to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Open Season Hotline. Send us your questions. We'll read the answers daily at six past the hour here on the Federal Drive. Disagreements over the Thrift Savings Plan and its expansion of the International Fund, they're heating up. You might say boiling over. Two senators are taking their concerns with plans to expand the iFund to an emerging markets benchmark right to the president himself. Now, that benchmark would track Chinese companies and senators say that's a problem. Meantime, a group of federal employee groups are telling senators to back off. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now to explain the latest with the ongoing TSP saga and a few other workforce developments she's been watching. And it's not really a China fund, is it? It's just a 6,000-wide securities index that includes some China, correct?
1: Right. It is the international fund that the TSP board has proposed to expand to several emerging markets. And that includes China. It didn't previously. And this is really brought about a lot of concern from senators who I'm not even sure if they were really paying attention to the thrift savings plan before this. And those senators are specifically Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, both Republicans of Florida, but also some Democrats, too. Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire, Kirsten Gillibrand, and a couple other Republicans have really turned their attention to this. And Rubio and Scott wrote to the president last week basically saying, look, those members on the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, some of them have expiring terms. That's the word they used is expiring. And, you know, maybe you should consider using your executive authority to replace them, appoint new members.
0: Because in deciding to go ahead with this new index for the I-Fund over the objections or questions raised by the senators, the TSP overseers felt that the return on the investment of that fund would be great for the people saving for retirement.
1: Right. They said that the return on investment would not only be greater for employees if they move to this new benchmark than under the current benchmark, but they also said that the TSP, if they didn't make this move, would be an outlier among other similar 401k-style plans – They did their research. They contacted an independent consultant who basically confirmed this and suggested that they move to this benchmark. And they made this decision back in 2017. But it's only been now, I would say, really over the fall that this has gotten more attention and more concern from from members of Congress.
0: And the federal employee groups are not happy with the idea of the senators interfering this way. And what are they Which groups are involved and what are they saying?
1: So there's a, a group called the Employee Thrift Advisory Council, and it's made up of, you know, several employee unions. So the AFGEs NTEUs of the world, but also the Senior Executives Association, the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, and a couple of postal unions as well. And they looked at this issue and they decided that it really should be up to the participants themselves if they want to invest in the iFund, and therefore invest likely in some of these Chinese companies. They brought up the return on investment argument. And they also brought up this argument that some of the board members mentioned themselves, which is the board isn't really a policy-making entity. They really shouldn't be deciding whether or not federal retirement assets should be invested in some of these Chinese securities. They say if someone else wants to make that decision— and then tell us what to do, then that's perfectly fine. And so the employee unions brought up this concern. They wrote to the senators who have been really vocal in uh, voicing their critiques on this TSP decision. And they also said to kind of, you know, back off and maybe reconsider some proposed legislation, which these senators have brought on board, as well as Mark Meadows in the House, that would really actually undo this entire iFund situation, The senators actually have written to the leadership on the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee saying, We want you to advance this legislation. So this is continuing and it's really something we thought would kinda be over at this point.
0: Well, politics and investments are rarely a good mix if you are trying to be a good investor. So we'll have to see what happens. But
1: and I think the question of the board members will likely come up again. You know, I, I asked about how long Some of them had been on board, and many of them have been there for, you know, if not five years, maybe longer. They don't have holdover terms, unlike other federal boards. So MSPB comes to mind, Merit Systems Protection Board. If you serve your term and there's no one waiting to replace you, you could serve a year in holdover capacity. And the FRTAB doesn't have that. They can continue to serve, you know, kind of indefinitely. They haven't really been watched this closely before.
0: We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, and you're also tracking some other developments with the president's workforce executive orders. That's the other zombie that just comes to life no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, this is the, the event that just keeps on continuing here. The Office of Personnel Management put out guidance late last week, right before Thanksgiving, essentially advising agencies to really get moving on implementing these executive orders. As you know, Tom, the appeals court overturned. A federal district court decision over the summer. The Trump administration won out here with their appeal. And OPM has put out, I think, some really interesting guidance that has kind of irked the federal employee unions at this point. OPM basically says that the EOs are fair game. They should be implemented at the end of the current term of a collective bargaining agreement. So a lot of times these bargaining agreements, they have an end date, but they kind of continue past the end date, either Until the agency and the union can get to the bargaining table and decide how they're going to negotiate a new agreement, or because the subject hasn't really been brought up and it just continues. OPM is saying, if that term ends, you better start implementing those executive orders. And if the agency and the union haven't agreed to reopen the agreement, you need to start enforcing the executive orders. And that's where the unions, I think, have their objections.
0: And so, in other words, there's an impasse here, too. And what happens at the end of a bargaining agreement, then we don't really know yet because we haven't had that particular situation.
1: We're getting there, I would say. I think the Health and Human Services Department situation with the National Treasury Employees Union, NTEU points to that as an example of the administration better be careful because an arbitrator actually said that HHS ruled in bad faith when they tried to sort of steamroll ahead and move some of these executive order provisions without NTEU agreeing. So this isn't over. We're going to see a lot more of these uh, disagreements, I think, between the unions and the agencies play out at the Federal Labor Relations Authority and the
0: impasses panel. Yeah, slipping the flesh of that zombie right back onto the shiny bone. (laughs) And uh, finally, the Office of Personnel Management has also weighed in on state minimum wages, saying they don't apply to federal employees. Any practical effect of that?
1: Well, this is interesting. OPM said it had gotten a lot of questions, especially as individual states start bumping up that minimum wage rate well past the federal minimum wage, which is $7.25. In the state of Maryland, there are plans to increase the minimum wage to as much as $15 in a few five years or so. So what OPM looked at is whether or not those state minimum wage rates really apply To federal wages. And a lot of times, in the majority of cases, the lowest level GS1 Step 1 employee in most of your locality pay areas will exceed likely the state minimum wage in that area. But we did find some exceptions, and there are very few exceptions. I mean, California, as they raise their minimum wage to uh, over you know, $12 an hour. Some employees, those, again, lower level GS1 employees in San Jose, San Francisco, they might outpace the the minimum wage in future years. It really depends on where you live. Sure. And I think this could become maybe an issue that to watch in the future, especially as some of those states raise it past, you know, $15 an hour.
0: Federal News Network's Nicola Risco, Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out all of her stories at federalnewsnetwork.com.